Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, Executive Editor of Recode. Thanks for listening to Recode Replay. Here's an interview from the 2018 Code Media Conference. I think being a media conference, a ton of people in this room know who you are, but for the handful that need a little bit of education, why don't you give me 30 to 60 seconds on what the company is that you've built? We'll start with you, Britt. Sure. Uh, I'm Britt Morin. I'm the founder and CEO of Brit & Co. We are a women's media company uh, targeting millennials and largely offering them advice and tips on how to do things in their life. Um, we get compared to a millennial Martha Stewart all the time, if that gives you a picture of what it means. But Do we like that? Um, it's different because it's, it's how to cook and how to do interior design, but also this past week we hosted a crypto summit um, that tens of thousands of women attended physically or virtually about how to invest in crypto. So um, it really does range. And beyond the media platform that we've built, which is you know, last quarter, our top month, we had 177 million women in our audience. Uh, we also have extended into different business lines. So we have a collection of over 100 online courses. These are video courses averaging an hour in length in topics ranging from how to decorate a cake to how to code. We also sell merchandise. We've launched four different collections in Target stores nationwide in the last year and a half or so. You're taking up all my questions. My, my last thing is that we do um, large experiential events, festivals, pop-up shops with upwards of 15,000 women that come. So it's a 360 brand. Okay, we'll circle back to 360. I'm Danielle Weisberg. And I'm Carly Zakin. Uh, we are the co-founders and co-CEOs of The Skim. The Skim is a company that makes it easier to live a smarter life. Uh, we are former news producers, and we started the company from our living room couch with a couple thousand dollars saved up and a huge vision for a news company uh, that our friends could relate to and one that actually fit into their routines. Um, since we started five and a half years ago, we've really grown so far beyond that, really into an audience company that really thinks about what is the information that a female millennial needs to make smart decisions throughout her lives. Uh, the company was really started by the fact that we were working for big media that needed to have a younger consumer base, but didn't really have authenticity with our friends. Uh, female millennials that were leading purchasing decisions, and we just saw a huge void in the market uh, to create something, a brand based in authenticity uh, that delivered meaningful information day in and day out, but in a way that was actually in keeping with how people live their lives. And the core product started with um, daily email News Digest, is that a fair way to describe it? It did. So the, the core product, um, we started with an email newsletter. And at the time, everyone told us that was a really stupid idea, uh, that email was dead. Of course, they would email that to us, uh, which was an interesting way to make a point. Uh, and for us, it was really in keeping with how we've thought about building the brand from the very beginning, which is we have two guiding principles. The first is we are a brand. Uh, we have a value proposition. We personify the skim, the skim girl as a character. We know who we are and we've known it from the beginning. And the second is we want to use technology to create products that anticipate when you need information. And so for us, the email was really a way to recreate morning television. But when you wake up, you don't necessarily turn on your TV and have four hours to try to get the information you need. You grab your phone, you read email, and you walk out the door. Uh, so today we are uh, the, the leading way that millions of women throughout the country wake up, get their news, and go on to start their days. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to jump into all the different business models that, that 
you all have created so far. Um, we just heard from executives from Facebook. I'm always interested um, when I'm talking to people building young companies, whether you know in the commerce field, how they compete or think about the Amazon ecosystem in media, how you think about the effect of Facebook and Google and the social platforms on what you do. So Facebook's talked about sort of how they're rejiggering, what they're going to show people. How much, and we could start with whoever wants, how much do you all need Facebook specifically and, that, and sort of the reach that they provide? Sure. Uh, so obviously Facebook is an enormous ecosystem to reach millennial women. That being said, as you can imagine, Britain Co. at least um, has a very diversified traffic pie. You can imagine that the amount of traffic we get from Pinterest, for instance, is very high. The type of content that we create resonates with that audience tremendously. So we're one of the top publishers on that platform. And that gives us a, a way to talk to that consumer more directly, as opposed to competing with what you've been hearing about all day today with like hard news and hot topics about what's happening in politics. Um, that stuff gets shared and gets commented on a lot on Facebook, whereas a before and after transformation of a kitchen might not get as many shares and comments. So we aren't reliant on Facebook. However, we play there for sure, and we try to find the pockets of communities that do love the things that we have to offer them. Um, monetization, I think, for any media company is tough on Facebook. We do have Facebook Watch series, and we've been part of Facebook Instant, and, and all kinds of new products that they've been testing. Um, and I'm excited to do more with them. I think if they open up more gates for us to be successful, we'll continue to work even stronger with Facebook, but certainly not reliant. And the, the monetization piece is something that I wonder at a, comp you know, a company that's what, six years old, venture-backed, um, how much can you afford to play and go with sort of the, you know, the, the 12-month cycle of we're going to change what we show your audiences without sort of seeing real revenue from that? I think, um, so it's a great question. I think it's a question everyone in the media industry is grappling with. And, and for us, it's more about the engagement factor. Um, this whole 2018 for us in general, but is about depth and not breadth. I think a lot of people have been using Facebook as a way to reach an enormous population. We care more about going really deep with our niche population of millennial women. For instance, so 20% of our audience is creating 50% of our sessions. It does us a disservice if we're trying to be even broader to more people on Facebook, but they're not coming back and returning as often. So we would like to monetize and create more opportunities within Facebook as long as we're getting that return user. If not, then it does, does us a disservice. And, and, and frankly, it does our dis investors a disservice because we're just washing that money down the drain. Yep, no one, no one likes that. Um, we'll get back to Pinterest in a second, because I am curious about that. For you all, you know, with email as the core, does that make you less reliant on social? Yeah, you know, I think it's funny. We, we've obviously, we've partnered with Google and Facebook. We hope to do so again. Um, I think we think about it very similarly to Brit. You know, we call our strategy intimacy at scale. And what that means for us is we got to a certain scale where we are now. And now it's about how do we continue to deeply engage this audience. And we're very proud to say we have never built anything on anyone else's algorithm. And we, for us, you know, we own our audience. If we wanted to email and get in touch with every single person that follows us or interacts with us, we could do that right now in the green room. Um, we, so when you say, sorry, when you say we have not built on anyone else's algorithm, go a little deeper on yeah, that. Yeah, 
So intimacy, it's scale deeper. Uh, yeah. So for us, what that means is we started with email. We have our audience's email addresses. That's how we started. We call that kind of our honeypot because from there, we can deeply engage people as we siphon them off to different products. So whether it's our subscription product, whether it's for civic engagement purposes, we were um, one of Rock the Vote's largest partners ever to get people out to vote in 2016, or whether it's uh, our commerce business and, and how we move product to, to other things that we're, we're kind of developing in the pipeline right now, what we have done has been able to do it um, on our own terms and, and on our own platform. And we can partner with places like Facebook and Google, which we love to partner with and hope to continue to partner with. But we're in a position now um, when they do need to change an algorithm or do change direction in some way, we don't have to have an executive meeting to figure out how do we change our business. And you think when you're double the scale, so today you're what, six million subscribers, something like that? We're over that. We're over that. Like that. Okay, yeah. you want it seven million? Yeah, we're, I mean, yes, but I think that for us it's much more about, um, I think that our business strategy is similar in that, yes, we could say whether it's seven million, whether it's 10 million, whether it's 12 million, it doesn't matter if you don't have a connection. And I think that that's really where we focus is we don't want to be the biggest player out there because we don't need to be. For us, it's all about trust. And I think the proof of trust is engagement. You know, we are the biggest email newsletter out there, but we have unprecedented open rates. And that's something that is really uh, one of the ways that we measure engagement. What are, what are those? So our daily open rate is about 30 to 35%, and then it goes up weekly and monthly. Um, and for us, we've also measured it in having people buy our books, having people register to vote through us. And I think, you know, for, for us, it's been an interesting model in starting off of telling someone about the news in North Korea, what's going on there. You establish a certain amount of trust. And then as the brand, goal, as the brand has grown, we've definitely looked at where, where does it feel like we can apply to really extend that curation and recommendation factor. So you mentioned, I think both of you in some way have mentioned about sort of going deep with an audience rather, you know, necessarily trying to be everything to everyone and, and reaching super, super broad. That leads me to the business model question, which is for a long time in media, or maybe now it seems like you either go for super scale or you go behind a subscription or a paywall or something to that effect. You all are doing sort of a combination of things. Britt, I think you told me about two-thirds of your business now is media sales, so that's a combination of what? Sponsored content? Yep. Is, it, is it banner? Is it? We, yeah, we don't have any traditional IAB banners. We have a couple of high-impact uh, display ads. Other than that, it's sponsored content. And then a third is merchandise and so then classes? The rest, yeah, the other third of the business for revenue is, is classes. So it's a direct-to-consumer business. It's e-commerce, essentially, um, and then merchandise. And events is, is one that's tied between sponsorships and advertising and ticket sales, which we're starting to dial up now. And the strategy there has been what from the beginning? I know we talked years ago about e-commerce, and at some point it was, maybe we're going to try to let our audience buy everything that is mentioned on the site, and then it... There's been different iterations. Yeah. So, what so, did you get? What did you get right, and what did you get sure. wrong? So, we're primarily a lifestyle brand, um, which is is great in some reasons and not great in others. The great thing is that we create a lot of evergreen content. So, we have over 150,000 pieces of content that can recirculate and retrend year over year. Our top 
piece of content last year was from Halloween 2013. Um, Dri 50 Dri best couples costumes. Driven by which of the platforms? Driven by that? Google. Okay. Um, and, and so um, what's great about it is that a lot of lifestyle content leads to a commerce purchase. You're typically talking about how to make over a room, how to cook something using different types of kitchen tools, et cetera. So we certainly use affiliate um, to create a, an affiliate revenue stream. And we've been toying with commerce and our role in that, to your point, since the beginning. Um, originally, we were selling directly. The women in our audience wanted to recreate the things that we were making and doing. So we had a subscription service of do-it-yourself um, activity kits that they could buy from us. It was you know, a monthly service. The problem was they all wanted to customize each thing they wanted to make every month. So like one woman, one cohort wanted to make jewelry and the other cohort wanted to make um, home decor. Um, that became really operationally intensive as a 12-person company. So um, then we went to a la carte, and then we got interest from big retailers like Target um, to put our stuff in their stores. And the, the thing that actually ties this all together is that we see this all as a funnel. So the media and the content we create is like the daily drop of engagement with our consumer. If we can get them to get interested enough and inspired enough to want to do something, we know that they probably don't have the skills to do it because we're all millennials and we didn't have like home ec class growing up. Um, so we offer the classes and we say, okay, pay between $19 and $49. It's an hour of your time. Learn this skill. And if they want to learn that skill, they typically need the products and tools to learn it. If you want to learn how to decorate a cake, you need like the cake spatulas and all the things. I do want to learn. So, <laughs> so we can either sell that as a kit or we can sell the products through like Amazon affiliate. Um, and, and so it becomes this virtuous cycle. And the other thing that we Do you want to sell through Amazon? Do you care about, um, you know, they, they've recently, I mean, we in sell the past to, years. We sell to Etsy and um, other, other retailers as well. But then with the real life products that we have in Target stores, we actually have a gift certificate for a free online class inside the box. So if people don't even know the Brit & Co brand, but they buy our calligraphy kit, they can go back online and redeem a free class. And that actually creates an email capture for us. We know exactly what they bought from Target. We can retarget them, no pun intended, with products, merchandise, content classes, et cetera, which most retailers have no idea how to get people to go back online and then into store. So we're create, trying to create a flywheel, essentially, is the answer to the question. And expand your list of acquirers. And slowly expand that following. Got it. OK. Um, I'm, do you remember what my question was? Because I don't no, at this point. No, we're on the diversified revenue. <laughs> oh, yeah, diversified I mean, revenue uh, models. But I, I think you know it's funny because obviously we provide such different services to our audience, but there's a lot of synergy in how we've both thought about building the brand. And we use the term flywheel effect all the time in our office. And for us, there was never a pivot of revenue strategy. Like from day one, we had the luxury of seeing what had come before us in the media space, what had come before us in the newsletter space. So while we've been very open, you know, when you follow our personal story of we were new to this whole game, we had never done business, we had never raised money, all of that, we, what we did know is that we were in a newsletter business and we knew marketing and we knew how to market using a newsletter email, uh, or email newsletter rather, to this audience. So from day one, we started laying the groundwork for diversified revenue. So for us, our revenue consists of sponsorships, premium subscription, commerce, and content licensing. And what we've seen is that those don't work in silos. They actually work together to compound this flywheel effect that goes deeper and deeper into engaging this audience. So we have sponsors, for example, in our largest mass product, The Daily Skim, but we go after our most targeted users in there to say, hey, we like this product. 
then they go buy that. That's, a, that's our commerce play. Then we go after uh, our- Can you explain, you said you go after your most targeted- Our most, our most active users will uh. click on a link of a product that we recommend. So for example, we're one of um, Casper's most successful affiliate partners. People buy mattresses from us every week. You would and never think that. that's in your editorial? In one that? line of text. Okay. Um, we are the number one way to sell books to this audience over the Times and the Today Show. Um, and then what we see is when we go after our deepest and deepest users, they will actually pay us for a premium subscription of a, of a unique skim experience and how we offer them a different value add and other routines. Um, and so for us, it goes exactly to what you're talking about, which is this flywheel effect of other ways that we can integrate into our audience's routine so they're not feeling that they're being split in different directions of how to be monetized, but that it all kind of goes together in this user loyalty funnel. So you mentioned your you know, most active users will pay you for sort of what they may see as added value. So I think you're talking about an app Yes. that you charge $3 a month for, is, yes. that, is that correct? Yeah. And that started, correct me if I'm wrong, that started at, out as, well, what I've read as a calendaring app or putting events on their calendar that they should be aware of. And I thought, I'm definitely not in this demographic <laughs> because I do not get that. But now it's, there's, there's more content as part of it now. So why don't, yes. why don't you just explain Well, I that. will caveat, you've never really been in the skim demographic because we're going after female millennials. But we'll still take you. Yes. really cool socks. <laughs> you do have great <laughs> socks. approve of his socks. Any Biggie fans? Yes? Okay. <laughs> yes. Um, so we started something called Skim Ahead uh, about a year and a half ago. Um, and the goal there was, can we go into another routine for our audience? And will they pay us for that? And so literally every day, our audience would email us and say, I just want to pay you for the daily skim. And we would be like, that's so sweet. But like literally, literally those words? Literally those words. And we would can say- they pay, Can I meet those people? Too? Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, so we said, you know, hold, hold on to your money. Uh, and we don't believe that you should pay for the daily skim. What we did believe, though, is that there is information that you want to know when it's coming up, whether it's the State of the Union is on next week and you want to know which night, or This Is Us is coming back and you don't want to miss it, or that uh, it's National Pizza Day on Friday and like get your Instagram ready. Whatever it is, it's part of the zeitgeist. There were these moments that we found that our friends were coming to us after the fact saying, I wish I had known this. So when we thought about that, and then we thought about what is a routine that I'm sure everyone in this room has, which is you live on your phone and you live on your calendar. You don't know where you're going next until your calendar says you have this meeting. That was really simple for us. It was another routine, just like email, that we could integrate ourselves into. So that's how Schema had started. $2.99 a month, we help you get ahead. What that's evolved into, what are other things that we can help you get ahead on? And so this past fall, we launched something called Skim Notes, which is part of this subscription bundle, which in nine minutes, we will teach you via audio everything you need to know about an, audio, um, an evergreen topic. So like cryptocurrency, like North Korea, like uh, the Versace murder, because that was all back on, um, on FX recently. So for us, it's about creating a bundle to being smarter. So when I see the addition of, or some people could see the addition of audio and say, oh, that calendar thing didn't work, and now we're giving more value. Um, and I'm always curious about how you, how you decide to either pull a plug or add early on in products. First, do I have that right? No. Okay, Sorry. I'm wrong. No, so you're wrong. So should uh, I still ask my follow-up? Well, I think <laughs> you're very cynical, but I think that products evolve over time. You, you over know time. what brand this is? Yeah, okay. I think products evolve over time. I think if you start off with something and you get uh, a, a lot of good reception, which we did, you know, our PR rollout strategy was to tell our 
30,000 brand reps, our skin ambassadors that influence about 20% of our user growth each year about the product a month before and have them talk to us about it and give us ideas. And it was, um, it got five-star reviews more than Apple had ever seen in a 24-hour period of launch. And I think for us, it was, you know, just like the skim started with an email newsletter. It didn't mean we failed because we added on other products to that. I think it was part of... It's an okay point. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that there is an evolution in building products. Um, as a company and as a brand, you always want to stretch and you want to see where you can continue to build further. Audio was actually one of the top things that our audience had asked for because they would say, it's great that you get the newsletter and I like that, but I live in a city where I drive every day and I want to be able to listen to you. So it seems like a really natural extension. When we think about day parting, this audience's you know, daily routines and where we can add value, commuting was the top place we wanted to go into next. So I've heard community now a couple of times, Skimbassadors, I think also. Brit, many people may not know that the co I'm, I'm going to do a little... Community. Community, not, co not, yeah. not company. Not company, yeah, common mistake. Um, it, was, it was a thoughtful process to name the company. So I worked at YouTube before I started this within Google. Um, I saw while working on that product how people wanted to follow brands of people on the platform of YouTube and not random third-party brands and how in the era of social media's uprising, you wanted to follow Jimmy Fallon, you didn't want to follow The Tonight Show necessarily. Um, so the idea of both putting myself in the name as Brit and Co standing for community was really important to me because I saw back then, six years ago, that the future of media was largely the future of human-led brands, um, whether that's influencers or actual media brands. Huffington Post um, was one that also existed. Disney, by the way. Um, so uh, yeah, the co now actually exists in many different facets for us. Um, we have our community at large, I think similar to like the skin ambassadors, the power users. But then we have like our and these class. are not paid. Those are not paid, no. Nope. Okay. Um, and then we have our class teachers. So these are experts in their topics who also tend to have large social media followings. Then we have women are who those, are, are sorry, not, those paid. Paid, uh, not paid. We do a rev share with class instructors. Yeah, they're not like employees of Britain Co. though. Um, then we have women who are kind of becoming more and more faces of certain facets of the brand. So we have a, a beauty expert named Beth. Um, we have a fashion expert named Zoe. And then kind of at the top is Brit. And it's, I talk about myself in the third person a lot. It's not weird. You just put yourself in quotes. I do it in yeah. internal meetings too, because I'm like, when we're talking about, anyway. Um, so, and, and the whole idea is that like this generation wants real communication from real people um, and not a random brand talking to them. And so I was the target demographic of the girl I wanted to reach. Like, why not talk to her authentically through social media, through television, through books? And, and how can we create almost a community effect of that as well? So Britain Co., now you guys all know. Please spread it, the word. Is there a downside of having your name and you being yeah. sort of the face of it? Yeah. What's, what, give me all of it. People think, I mean, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's like, first of all, the number of investors that have asked me what happens if I get hit by a bus tomorrow is like, like more than I have fingers, which is weird that it's always the bus analogy. I don't know why. Um, Self-driving. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and I point to, to women like Ariana Huffington, and I point to Turner and Scripps and Meredith and Disney and every other media company that existed from a person and Portia Rockefeller and Hershey's and Walmart. Um, 
so um, there's that. And then there's like the naysayers who, who just want to pick on you because you're trying to be a public persona. And again, the only reason I'm trying to do this is to show my audience that I am authentic about who I am and what I'm doing for them and that I actually want to help them um, get smarter, be more creative, like be less insecure about themselves. So in the first couple of years, that was tough. But I learned that at the end of the day, I feel good about what I'm doing. I feel authentic about why I'm doing it. And women are responding who are in my community. So the like 45-year-old men on Twitter, sorry. <laughs> um, you two have become the face of your brand. Yeah. Um, was that strategic from the start? Your, name, yeah. your names are not. It was discussed a lot. Um, so I think one of the things that we never talk about is literally until about an hour when we sent the very first email, we were about to launch anonymously. Where, anonymous. Yeah, where you could never figure out who is, who is behind like this. Like Bitcoin. And wow. we, 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 when I think about the stress that went into not launching anonymously, it makes me laugh today because I don't know how we would have been able to pull that off. But um, What was the thinking? You just weren't sure? Was I, it I think we, we were just really private people and didn't really know, you know, we had no business background. We knew, we knew media and we knew how to talk to this audience because we were part of the female millennial demographic. We love news. We grew up in the business. We knew we were really well positioned to create this product, but I think we hadn't, we had worked as producers and we knew what it was like being on the other side of the camera and we didn't necessarily want to bring that on. I think what changed, here, here you are. What, yeah. what changed was I think we saw the response from our community and from being a symbol for millions of women who saw us start something with no formal business background from a couch. And we felt like it was really important to, at some moments in the company, to, to go in front of the brand. And also from a business perspective, we just didn't want anyone else to represent our story. You know, our founding story is so baked into the DNA that it never felt right to ever think about someone being a spokesperson. I think also it's important to know, you know, our names are not on the site anywhere. We've never had a byline on our own products. Um, we have a character. It's not me, it's not Danielle. Like we created this caricature and when we write and now our team, when they write, um, we're writing for a caricature just, just the same way that someone writes for letter, wrote for Letterman or wrote for The Tonight Show or whomever. Um, for us, you know, what we built was this character that every single person on our team knows Skim Girl's relationship history, knows what she's watching on Netflix, knows what her favorite app is, knows that she force quits her apps, knows when she's leaning in more towards a Sauvignon Blanc versus a Sancerre. I mean, we know everything about her, and it's an evolving process of really knowing this character as if it was a real person. And we studied a lot of brands. It's funny the brands that you named, because the ones that we talked a lot about was actually Paul Newman, and how Paul Newman lemonade and Paul Newman salad dressing was this character. There's a whole generation of people who sadly don't even know he was an actor and who think of him as the guy on the label. That makes me sad. Um, but for us, you know, we were, we've been really careful about how we go in front of the brand and when. And I think in the last two and a half years or so, I think um, we definitely have gone through kind of a switch of realizing that we do have a responsibility as a female-founded company that's not only female-founded but female-led um, that our audience does look up to, that we're very proud to represent them and educate them and get them out to vote and um, hopefully get them to start businesses too. Um, if we have questions, we have a couple of minutes. I'd love to hear from some of you. Um, I think, yes. tell us who you are, please. 
Hi, I'll, I'll go. I'm Casey. I write for The Verge, um, but I recently started an email newsletter, so I've been really fascinated to uh, watch y'all uh, succeed over the past couple of years. And I'm curious when you started the skim if uh, email was just a means to an end, or if you think there's some sort of unique power in email. Uh, and if it's sort of more the latter, I wonder if you're surprised that it seems like more media companies aren't doing more with email today. Well, I think email is a really crowded space. So our, our belief was kind of like, if you can make it an email, you can make it anywhere, uh, which I think is a testament to the product we've created, that our audience, you know, we get angry emails if, you know, it goes out at 6 a.m. Eastern and they get it at 6.30. We're like, well, you know, it takes a while to send at this size. We're working on it. We're sorry. Um, but that's the type of relationship that we have with them. And I think if you have that relationship, then email can be a really powerful tool because your inbox is so crowded. And if you don't, or that's not the type of relationship you want to create, then I, I don't think email is the best tool because I delete, you know, 80% of the things that get into my inbox. Hi, I'm Johanna Buya with Recode. I don't cover media, but I'm interested in it. Um, so, I mean, you mentioned this character that you sort of write in the voice of, um, and you guys reach a very important audience that a lot of media companies struggle to reach. And obviously, that's a huge responsibility, huge burden. Um, but at the same time, you're fielding a lot of critiques that of the about the the tone that you guys use, often out of concern that it can either trivialize or oversimplify really important events. And so, I mean, first, what is your response to that critique? But also, I mean, what is sort of the editorial process? How do you um, decide when something needs to be taken or written in a more serious tone? So I'll answer the second part first, which is, um, first and foremost, the skim is a journalistic product. Anything we create is created with journalistic integrity. We feel that we learn from the best in the business. Anyone on our editorial team comes from a traditional news background. Mm -hmm. um, our filter and what we choose to write every day is, would our friend have to talk about this or need to talk about this? What is news? What will become news? What no longer is news? And that's related to the Daily Skim specifically. I think you know, from day one, we've had critics and we've had people question what it is that we do. And we sort of have always laughed at that from day one because we come from a traditional news background where truly, our dream was that people were also paid to read The Wires and would want to sit and talk for hours, the same way we did as friends, and just talk about what they read in The Wires. Now, we all know that that's not, um, that's not a, f a fair depiction of ever either everyone's time or interest um, or access. And so what we found is that there was not a one-size-fits-all approach to news, and that's what was part of what was broken in traditional media. There was that, and there was also the fact that Sometimes if you were reading the paper, you had to go to page A7 or scroll, if you're reading online, to the third page to get context on a story. Our goal was this is going to go for people who have not a lot of time and maybe wouldn't have gotten this information if they didn't read the skin. And we will never apologize for getting millions of people to interact and engage with the world around them or getting over 110,000 people registered to vote. Um, we are nothing but proud of that. And I think what's funny is you know, a lot of criticism that's come out about the scam in the last year or so has largely come from media reporters and largely from media organizations that our community has said, I've never heard of that organization, and I feel insulted. And so I think you know, we continue doing what we're doing. We, we root for all media, and we hope that um, everyone else does the same. Right, but you're, so you're addressing the brevity, the decision to you know, make sort of shorter um, summaries of articles, and you're addressing what stories you write about, but my question is more about how you write it. For instance, I think, it must have been this past, I mean, maybe it was today, but there was um, 
a blurb about heightened tensions between Israel and Iraq, for instance. And there was a line that was something like, um, uh, there was this unspoken rule not to F with each other, which seems like a, a weird way of sort of describing a very serious thing that resulted in a, a fighter jet being shot down. Well, I think that we write how people speak. And if you are talking about what's going on in a wider world context and you're not a reporter, you're probably using words that are colloquial. You're probably swearing sometimes. And I think that is really our tone, which is we're writing conversationally. Um, and I think that that has been something that really resonates with our audience. And so you, you, would, you would say that you're, it doesn't oversimplify it or trivialize things like that? I think that we're the skim for a reason. We're not saying that we're giving you 10 pages on the history of conflicts in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. We are trying to prepare our audience to have an opinion and go deeper on things that are talked about on a recurring basis. And I think that we show that we send a lot of traffic to a lot of journalistic institutions that we hope benefit from having a direct pipeline to millennial traffic that they're not getting otherwise. Right, thanks. I, I got one more question, then we got to wrap up, unfortunately. Um, looking ahead, I'm curious, you're both about six years in. How do you, where do you see yourself fitting into the overall ecosystem? Like, I'm sure you think about bigger companies and where you might fit. Um, you all, there was a report in December that you've been approached by a potential acquirer and you consider a sale. So really quickly, um, what, yeah. are you, what are you going to do over the next two years? Thank you. Uh, a lot of things. So one, I think your parent company included is focused on premium content, high quality, real communities, potentially like membership or diversification of revenue strategies. I saw you talking to Jim Bankoff. Is that what I do know okay. Jim. Okay. Um, but a lot of media companies are starting to do that. And, and I think we've been doing that for several years now. So it's about staying the course. It's, you know, we said two thirds of our revenue is from advertising. The other third is from other businesses. We have an internal kind of saying in like 50-50 by 2020. It's continuing to diversify and continuing to grow an engaged real audience with premium high quality content. Okay. So you're for sale. <laughs> that was the question? Yeah. Um, I, I think if you're a business that's doing well, especially in this environment, then you should have a lot of people looking at you. So I think that report is kind of par for the course for us over the past year or so. I think it's a, a mark that we're growing really quickly uh, and we're growing into different aspects of the business. For us, I think that that question is distracting for a lot of founders. I think we show up every day and we put a lot of thought and care into what we build and uh, are really excited to keep growing and to keep running the company as we so have been for five and a half years. So you're considering a sale still or? <laughs> um, I think, yeah, are you? I'm always for sale. <laughs> Wait, I want to hear this answer and then we got to wrap up as we're super old. Uh, I think that we are really well positioned in this environment and that we stand out because of, you know, being a, a female founder and female led company right now that is growing in a lot of different ways and not chained to Facebook. I think it's really flattering what's come across the table. And I think for us, we want to grow. We're, we have created a great brand from scratch and there's a lot more that we want to do with it. And that's where we're focused. That was a non-answer, but I like it. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Recode Replay. If you liked it, then make sure to check out our other podcasts, Recode Decode, Recode Media, and Too Embarrassed to Ask. Thanks to our editor, Joel Robbie, and our producer, Eric Johnson. For full coverage of the Code Media Conference, visit recode.net.